you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. G'day, mates. It's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins... I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. Entry 17. I don't know what the hell Kunz is trying to do right now. He seems to be trying to unshackle himself. I asked him what his plan was supposed to be, given the fact that we're probably over an ocean right now. And he just stared at me with a demented look in his eye. Fucked if I know, man. Can't get locked up here, though. He sputtered. I've heard the stories, man. It makes Paradise X sound like an actual paradise. Admittedly, those words disturbed me. I must admit that I hadn't really thought about where we were going. If civilization was bad here, I can't fathom what the prisons were like. Entry 18. Fuck me, man. Somebody just came in and he's tossing everybody parachutes. What the hell is happening? Entry 19. This shit, man, it just keeps escalating. After the guard tossed us the parachutes, he opened the plane doors. A gust of wind hit me in the face as I stared out into the black sky. Kunz asked him what the hell was going on. Low on fuel, the guard gave him a twisted smirk. I can't drop you off, you'll have to make your own way there. As he started unshackling everybody, two other guards soon materialized, rifles trained on us. One of the prisoners tried attacking the guard upon being freed, but was shot quickly. And he was barely acknowledged beyond that. If you jump out in the next 30 seconds, you should hit land, the guard said. And I know what you're thinking. You could escape, huh? Well, there's nobody stopping you, but it's a small island. You don't want to find out what's on it. You got a better shot at survival in the rift. Only slightly, though. I'd later learn that the rift was the unofficial name of the prison. The guard shot me one last smug grin before walking up and unceremoniously pushing me out. I'd gotten my parachute on just in time. He didn't give much warning, and as I looked up, I saw the other prisoners coming down, one by one. As we descended, I tried to scope out the island, trying to form some sort of expectation. He didn't lie. It was small. About the size of a large shopping mall, in fact. There was only one compact concrete structure on the entire landmass. 
That, that couldn't be a prison, right? I thought to myself. But there wasn't much time for that. I was coming down fast and I made a judgement and opened the parachute. I eventually landed in shallow water near the shore. I tried taking a second to compose myself, but that's when I heard splashing behind me. I turned around, expecting another prisoner, but nope. Instead, I was met with a mass of large dark tentacles that pierced the water surface, clambering towards me. As I scrambled onto the shore, one of the appendages slammed down just a few inches from me, cracking the land. I made a beeline for the brooding forest in front of me. I'd estimated that I was about a 10 minute walk from the prison. I seriously considered just not going, but then I really thought about it. There was just nowhere to fucking go. I jumped at every little sound as I made my way through the dense black woods. And at one point, I could have sworn that I heard a baby crying. As I kept listening, the louder it got and the more guttural and demonic it got. I got the hell away from that, and later I'd put my hand on a tree while trying to catch my breath. And that was when I felt it move. I pulled away just in time to see what I thought was just a hole materialize of sharp, jagged teeth. About a second later, I looked behind me to see an abnormally large humanoid thing crawling towards me. Its three heads moved in a disturbingly erratic manner. Again, I bolted the fuck out of there. Maybe about a minute later, I crashed into somebody. I freaked out at first because who knew what the fuck it was, but then I heard Lauren's voice. She was hysterical. What the fuck is this place? She spoke softly, but frantically. Unfortunately, there was no time to talk. I could still hear the thing crawling towards us. I just pulled her up and told her to run, and a while later, we stumbled into a clearing where we started getting shot at. Stop! A booming voice echoed. I looked up to see people wearing some kind of uniform staring at us in front of the building. This was it. A tall, threatening-looking man wearing what looked like a suit of armor started thundering towards us. I braced myself for the worst, but he just moved past. I looked back to see him sprint up to the creature and start strangling it. A fucking horrific sight it was. During the struggle, he called out to the guards, They're prisoners, take them in! You saw the plane, you lazy bastards! We were soon ushered into the dull structure. I know this sounds weird, but it honestly looked like a shitty reception lobby. There were a few chairs and tables set up under flickering light bulbs. More guards lined the perimeter of the place, with about one in five being armored. At the front, there was a small desk manned by some dude with one eye and no eye patch. He sighed and just started typing. Something that surprised me, though, was just how advanced the monitor looked. Given everything that's happened thus far, I really wasn't expecting that. While he did this, the guards searched us for weapons. One of them inspected my journal for a bit, but eventually gave it back to me. They didn't give us uniforms or anything, and after a while, the man behind the desk grunted and signaled towards an elevator to the side. There were about four in total. The guards pushed us in, and there were too many buttons to count. They just pressed one near the top, the doors cracked shut, and we began our descent. After what felt like ten minutes, the doors opened back up, and we were just blasted by a cacophony of harsh sounds. Before this, I'd never really thought about what hell would look like. This prison, though, was probably a pretty good replica. The architecture was pretty similar to that of Alcatraz, if you've ever seen the interior. There were numerous rows of cells stretching upwards. 
and then I looked down at what appeared to be a black endless fissure and it seemed like the deeper it got, the less lights were present. The most horrific screams came from the cells way below us that were nearly submerged in the darkness. The guards led us down the corridor and I could see how scared Lauren was, but there wasn't really anything that I could do to comfort her at this point. I took a look into the cells that I passed by. Most of the other prisoners looked human. Some I couldn't really tell and at one point I saw Kunz being escorted from the opposite corridor. We made eye contact for a second. His demeanor was a mixture of pissed off and terrified. The guards eventually pushed us into a small room and closed the bars behind us. And that's when I took a look around. There were two bunk beds but the sheets looked dirty as hell and were stained crimson. So were the concrete walls. To be honest, I didn't expect much better. I have to say, I did breathe a sigh of relief when I saw a toilet and a small sink. There were two other people in there, both men. I guess gender separation wasn't really a thing, but to be fair, I don't really see how they could accomplish that in a place like this. One of the guys suddenly sat up in bed. I didn't know what to expect from the people here, so I was ready to take action if he tried to touch Lauren, but... He just smiled at us, a big, toothy yellow grin. Hey there, name's Buck Lane. He had a comically stereotypical Australian accent, but he did sound friendly. He walked towards us, armed outstretched. We both shook his hand somewhat hesitantly. I questioned how somebody could be in a place like this and still have any semblance of cheerfulness, and I asked him of that. He gave off a dry chuckle. Yeah, well, uh, it's probably better not to think about that, eh? It won't do you any good. That's how people go crazy in here. They, they think about things too much. I mean, really, what the hell is consciousness even? He laughed again. Then his expression went a bit more serious. But then again, maybe I'm already there. I didn't really know how to respond to that, so I just nodded. I'd noticed that the other guy hadn't even acknowledged us. I guess Buck noticed me staring because he chimed in. Oh, don't worry about him. He's harmless. Gone far off the deep end, though. I mean, just look at the shitty rights on the walls. I brought my gaze over to the wall near his bed. Sure enough, it was covered in writing. I saw a few lines like, Corruption engaged. There is no future. Before, I just looked away. He did have a mountain of pencils lying near his bed though. Mine was taken away earlier, so I asked him if I could take one but was met with no response. I took it as a yes and we talked to Buck some more and as it turns out he was also from Earth. But he didn't seem so surprised when we told him that we were as well. Yeah, it's more common than you may think, he stated. People go missing in planes all the time. Where do you think they end up? Here, whatever this place is. Hearing that gave me chills. For some regular commercial airline passenger going on vacation only to end up here? Well, that must be terrifying. Apparently, Buck was the sole survivor of a crashed plane headed to Amsterdam. Yeah, weed and hookers, mate, he said. That's where I thought I was headed. His plane crash landed on what seemed to have been a stone desert. He walked for days, eating peanuts, before he finally stumbled upon a civilization. Yeah, they were some strange fuckers, he went on. Looked like uh, weird rock people. I can't even describe it. 
He ended up flipping shit at the side of them and just ran away. Apparently, they took this as a threat for some reason, captured him and put him into a small cage. He stayed there for days, eating strange bugs that they served him before getting loaded onto a plane and transported here. Yeah, if, uh, if I went to jail on Earth, there'd usually be a reason for it, but not here, mate. After that, he told us more about the prison. From what we gathered, it was pretty much a global clusterfuck of an institution. Individuals were brought here from pretty much everywhere. This place was also absolutely massive. The ghost hazard wasn't the only entrance, but there were others as well. And also, the more dangerous a prisoner is considered, the closer their cell was to the bottom. This is fucking insane. For food, twice a day, guards would bring around what Buck referred to as nutrition blocks. I'm staring at one right now. It looks terribly similar to the energy bars Kunz was eating at Paradise X. Safe to say, I have no appetite right now. Another similarity to Paradise X stems from the fact that this place was also essentially lawless. As long as you didn't attack guards, steal food or resources, try to escape or cause a general large-scale uprising, you pretty much had free reign. Nobody had any obligations to step into conflicts that didn't directly affect them. However, this is the part that really fucking sucks. A good portion of the day was to be spent on manual labor. It was a lot of general maintenance work, but most of it was supposed to be spent down in the hole a large cave system that had been dug through and excavated by prisoners for years. Nobody really knew what the point of it was. A lot of people just assumed that it was for discipline, but there were some other theories. Yeah, we're digging for something, no doubt about it, Buck exclaimed. One theory was that the warden, the individual who ran this place, was obsessed with finding something called the Neo Grail. Supposedly, sometime during the timeline's history, the original Holy Grail was corrupted by a powerful demonic entity during some kind of Armageddon. That was the reason why this world went to shit. However, the Warden believed that this wasn't the end of it. He'd studied various ancient books and scriptures and had come to the conclusion that there was another Grail hidden somewhere in the vicinity of the prison. That was why he went about building the place. When the Neo Grail was finally uncovered by a holy man like himself, the world would revert back to peace. But this was only one theory. Some think that the Warden has more uh, sinister aspirations. That he's actually trying to start Armageddon himself. Speaking of the Warden too, his history is just shrouded in enigma. Nobody really knows where the hell he came from. He has a large office on the surface of one of the island entrances, but rarely comes down to the actual prison. There were a few alleged descriptions of his appearance, however. Not so long ago, there was a large insurgence around the lower levels. People were going insane down there, and, and eventually a large enough group was formed to the extent where they decided that they were a tangible enough threat to the guards. They started rioting, working up the levels, trying to get to the surface... Eventually, it was deemed enough of an emergency that the warden needed to be called. This was allegedly a pretty big deal. As the story goes, he came down to the lower floors himself, completely unarmed, and took out the insurgency single-handedly. According to the people that saw him, he was extremely tall, maybe around 8'5". He wore a large trench coat with religious symbols stitched all over it. And then there were his eyes. And this was contested, but they were allegedly pitch black. 
lifeless. And along with that, he looked young in appearance, despite the fact that he'd been around for such a long fucking time. Also, nobody knew where the source of his strength came from. He could pick up a 200-pound man with one arm and just throw him aside with ease. Upon being stabbed, the metal of the blade would just break off in his skin. Some people thought that he was the devil incarnate. After that, the theory about him being somebody trying to return peace to the world became a, a lot less popular, especially after what happened next. What lurked at the absolute bottom of the prison was a mystery, with there being no lights down there and all. However, the survivors of the uprising were given a chance to know. Instead of all of them being executed, they were given a different punishment. They were lowered by rope into the dark crevasse. They screamed like hell and most of them tried committing suicide. They stayed down there for about a minute before being brought back up. Buck witnessed this firsthand. He said that he could hear indescribable, just animalistic sounds emanating from below. It was a horrific sight when they brought them back up. They were deformed, but not in the traditional sense either. Some of them had strange-looking limbs growing out of their legs. Some had sprouted eyes on their arms, and some had no semblance of human features at all. I would try escaping, Buck told us. But you can probably see why... That's not about to happen, right, mate? For the first time, his cheery expression dropped. It's as if he just reminded himself of how bad the situation really was. But I had to know one more thing. Well, how long are we here for? I asked him. I was scared as hell for the response. None of the guards had even said a word to us about this. And Buck just sighed. Well... I've never seen anybody leave, mate. Couldn't tell ya. But, uh, don't worry about it, man. She'll be right. There was no confidence in his voice. I know that he doesn't believe that. I can hear guards opening up the cell doors next to us. Buck said that it's time to go into the hole. The workday was apparently starting. But here's the thing. There is no way in hell that I'm about to stay in this place. I will find a way out, even if it kills me. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, 
which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey guys, so uh, sorry for the long wait. The job's been pretty unforgivable lately. I really had to focus on it the past week. However, uh, I'll admit that it's been hard to do that, especially after reading the next few entries of Clint's journal, because this shit just keeps getting crazier. Entry 19. It's been one month and I'm already sick of this fucking place. It's hard to find motivation to even write and I thought that I'd give it a chance today. I gotta hold on to some semblance of sanity somehow. The rules here are just fucked. If the guards catch you sitting down more than once while you're mining in the hole, you get pistol whipped. If you can't physically work anymore, then you get dragged away and dropped down a shaft. Strangely enough, though, it doesn't even look like they want to do it. I think that they're just scared of something. Scared of the warden, maybe? Following the days where we make slow progress, well, we'll usually be met with a new set of guards. And who the hell knows what happens to the old ones? Well, I may have one idea, but whatever. The new ones are always harsher too, but it's hard to blame them. I guess they have to be. But honestly, I don't know how much longer I can keep this up. People drop like fucking flies here, and I haven't had an opportunity to formulate an escape plan. Hell, I've got nobody to talk to other than Buck and Lauren. We don't get leisure breaks, and we stay in our cell for about ten hours before being herded into the mine. We stay in our cell for about ten hours before heading back into the mines. This is bad, guys, but we'll see what happens, I guess. Entry 20. It's been around seven months now. I'm not counting. Buck is. Says that it's his hobby, and I mean, I guess there's nothing else to do. I'm pretty much sleeping whenever I'm not working. At least they're not starving us, I suppose. The energy bars aren't bad, actually. But I'd rather not think about what they're made out of, though. Still, nothing's fucking changed. I, I don't know what to do. It seems like the last revolution's made everybody complacent, and nobody's willing to take a chance anymore. Well, almost nobody. Two new guys were assigned to our section of the hole today. I eavesdropped on a conversation the guards were having about why they were there. I heard the word genocide drop a couple of times. Yeah, they were crazy fuckers. As soon as they stepped foot into the working grounds, they went after the guards. Using only their pickaxes, they managed to massacre most of them before finally being shot down. This was an opportunity, obviously, but nobody took it. I guess everybody thought that there was just no chance of getting out, even if we did manage to take out all the guards. But to be honest, I'm kind of starting to understand them as well. I don't want to think about it, but if my plan is to come to fruition, then we're going to need to face the warden at some point or another. Based off the stories, that sounds like a fucking nightmare. Entry 21. It's been about two years since that last entry. I have to say that it's been pretty rough as well. I've had no motivation to fucking write anything down. I've teetered between bouts of depression and unresolved motivation. 
I don't think Lawrence said anything in months. She just kind of sits around now with a glazed look in her eyes. Just a corporeal shell of herself and, I mean, I can't do anything about it. Buck's the same, although I'm really starting to question his own sanity. There were a couple more work incidences, just a couple of guards and prisoners killing each other here and there. In spite of that too, more and more prisoners seem to be piling in. The mines are starting to get crowded as well. A lot of the newbies claim that they didn't even do anything, that the whole system's corrupt and, I mean, I believe them. Morality seems to go out the window here, but something happened recently. One of the guys who worked near me, Jackman, actually found something. And apparently, it's what we've been digging for this whole time. You see, one of the few rules here is that if we find something that isn't pure rock, we were supposed to hand it over to the guards. Usually, there would be no way around this. They checked all of our pockets before we were done our shifts. However, it's pretty obvious that the guards themselves don't really want to be here either. In fact, a lot of them are forced into it, mere prisoners themselves. Smoker was one of them too. Not his real name, but you'd rarely see him without a dart dangling from his mouth. It was one of the few guard privileges that they had, so the name just kind of caught on. Anyways, years ago, he and Jackman came to a secret agreement. If Jackman ever found anything, he would be the first one to search him. Because you see, Smoker had inside knowledge, being here for decades. He knows what they're digging for and why the hell this prison even exists, all that shit. And he doesn't want to have any part of it anymore, but he can't leave. I started talking to Jackman a few weeks ago. We worked so close to each other that we'd sneak in conversations whenever the guards were out of earshot. Eventually, we both came to the conclusion that we were after the same thing. Freedom. Albeit, Jackman's been here much longer than I have. He's a bit hungrier, also a bit more unafraid of death. He was getting out of here no matter what. He told me about this alliance with Smoker and what the hell we were actually looking for. And they were called Imperium Shards. Small, dense, white crystals that, upon cutting yourself with, would make you invincible for about 15 minutes. Keep in mind, they don't make you stronger, just impossible to kill. Enough of these could... Enough of these could turn a mediocre standing army into a complete empire, and that was what the warden was after. He wasn't planning on running the prison forever. No, he wanted more. And that's why he forced us all to dig for 14 hours a day. But, here's the thing. The warden only knows the general location of where the clusters of these crystals are supposed to naturally occur, and Jackman actually knows where to find them. Before he'd been locked up, he was an excavation leader on a mineral-rich island. And that was before something called neo came and ruined this whole operation, sending him there. Yeah, they killed my whole team, he told me. But instead of taking me with them, they sent me here as a fuck you to anybody trying to take the resources that they think belong to them. And that's all of it. He was nearly foaming at the mouth as he said it. Yeah... Well, I'll show these fuckers. I'll make them wish they killed me. Jackman knew how to mine, probably more than anybody else in the entire prison, in fact. That was how he caught the eye of the smoker. He wasn't digging at random like everybody else. He actually had a strategy, 
and a few days ago, he struck gold. He found a few crystals. After the shift ended, Smoker pretended to search him, and after that, he went to a cell where he started a stockpile. He was in one of the older, single-capacity ones, so he didn't have to worry about people snooping around. He hid them in a discreet hole in the wall. We've been finding more and more every day. I've been storing some in my cell as well. I don't see Buck or Lauren selling me out, and the other guy's insane, so whatever. I must admit that uh, I was a bit skeptical, though. Crystals that made you invincible does seem like a bit of an outlandish idea. In retrospect, though... I guess nothing's too strange for this world. So I tried it on myself. I made a small cut on my shoulder and waited a few minutes. After that, I tried stabbing my hand with a pencil. Safe to say, it actually works. Jackman told me to start recruiting anybody that I really trusted. Because a revolution was brewing. I've informed Buck and Lauren about this. and They seem optimistic. The other guy in our cell's still insane, so I didn't bother, but it seems like something's changed. And I cannot fucking wait. Entry 22. It's been about another six months now. Our little group's grown to about 80. Most of the guards in our section are actually even in on it, through Smoker's persuasion. In addition, we've mined more of those crystals than we know what to do with. And it's just a matter of time now. Entry 23. It's been three more months and we've got 600 in on this now. We've pretty much convinced everybody in our mining section and they've gone and convinced their cellmates. All the guards are now part of this as well. There were some warden loyalists of course and all we had to do is get rid of them until we found suitable replacements. However, we're going to need to act quickly. The original plan was to get 1,000 plus people from all around the prison but... We seem to be drawing in a lot of suspicion. I mean, we can't just kill all the guards who are here voluntarily and hold allegiance to the warden. There's just too many of them and they're getting antsy as well. Some cells have already been searched. They haven't found any of the smuggled shards yet, but there's no way in hell that I can hide all the ones that I have if they search mine. But I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Entry 24. A few more weeks have passed, but we can't afford to keep this going. Jackman got searched yesterday, and of course there was no way of hiding all of the shards, so he just killed the two guards and stuffed them under his bed. We had to create a quick plan, and at this point we've gotten at least 800 people ready for this. We had to create an impromptu plan, and now it's happening tomorrow. Once the guards come around, unlock our cells and start leading us to the hole, we strike. If they're loyalists, we'll kill them. If they also want out, well, the more the merrier, right? After that, we'll start making our way towards the surface. The elevators will probably get shut down as they did during the last revolution. We'll just have to use the stairs. I estimate that there's about 30 floors above ours. Shouldn't be a problem, really. According to the guards, there's a bunch of planes and boats on the surface of the main entrance that we can use to get the hell out of here. And where we're going next? I don't know. The baby steps, right? As for the warden, he can't take all of us, especially if we have these shards. The last revolution was also considerably smaller than this one. But 
I don't know, maybe I'm just being too optimistic. I guess we'll find out soon though. Even if I don't make it out alive, at least I wouldn't have died complacent, rotting away in the shithole. And at least I would have done something interesting. Entry 25. Well, that was fucked. If I sound a bit discombobulated, it's because my whole body hurts right now. I can barely fucking move. Anyhow, the plan didn't really go the way that we expected it to. Let me explain. It all started during the middle of the night. I woke up in the dark to gunshots being fired off somewhere near us. That's when I heard our lock being opened. As it turns out, the suspicion had reached a boiling point. They decided to do a thorough search on all rooms. I scrambled towards my shard stash, managing to slash my wrist just as a guard started pulling me away. He took the butt end of the rifle and slammed it into my chest, but I didn't feel anything. From the solitary, dim flickering light bulb above, I could make out his face. One of pure shock. He shot at me a couple of times before I managed to disarm him. The other guard just ran away. I looked back to see Buck and Lauren waking up from the commotion. And it was now or never. We filled our pockets to the brink with the shards before heading out. As soon as we did, the lights came on, which meant that the war had officially started. I watched as the guards got tossed around and executed by the now invulnerable prisoners. I started running along the corridors while getting shot at from all angles, with Buck and Lauren close behind. We scrambled up the stairs, getting closer and closer to the top. It was apparent that the more and more that we made it up, the more and more guards were being sent down. And that's when we realized something. We could handle groups of three or four of them, but not an entire fucking army of them. We'd get overwhelmed eventually. I think we made it about 20 sets of stairs before we were met with the fucking cavalry. The corridor was congested with about six of those armed guards that me and Lauren saw when we first landed on Ghost Hazard. Fucking hell, I remember Buck saying. What are they supposed to be? A bunch of them started trudging forwards, lugging along massive Gatling guns. I pricked myself with a shard again in anticipation. We ducked into a nearby cell just as the shells started flying. My hand touched something soft and squishy as I stumbled backwards into a wall. It was a prisoner's spilled guts. I shuddered at that and my heart dropped when I checked my pockets. I guessed that most of my shards had fallen out at one point or another. Luckily, Lawrence was still mostly there. We sat for a while, knowing that we wouldn't be able to move forwards, given the constant stream of bullets. It lasted longer than I'd expected, and eventually, Buck had had enough. Well, fuck it, he said. They can't do this shit forever. He stabbed himself with a shard before walking out, hands up high. I heard him say, Come on then, before being drowned out by gunfire. I watched as he was slowly pushed backwards by the force. After a while, the stream of ammunition stopped. We rushed out of the cell just as Buck was slowly getting up. His clothes had been pretty much shredded away by bullets at this point. It was a strange sight for sure. However, we realized that a new problem was right there in front of us. Although the guards couldn't hurt us, we sure as hell were not going to make a dent on them. And they also outnumbered us greatly. I looked around to see the other prisoners being tossed down by them into the void. Their echoed screams signified potential doom for us. I looked back in front of me to see the guards approaching. If they got a hold on me, then they'd have no problem just throwing me over the rails. And 
I don't think the shards would have helped with whatever the hell was down there. I guess Buck and Lauren also realized this because they'd already started running the other way. However, their paths were quickly blocked by a couple more armored guards that had jumped down from a higher level. But to be honest with you, I thought that we were goners right there. And then... I didn't see any way out of it, but we backed into another cell right as the guards closed in on us. I was considering slitting my throat just to avoid whatever the hell was down in that pit when I realized that I couldn't. I'd cut myself with a shard mere moments ago and I just closed my eyes in preparation. I felt myself move forward a bit before being shoved to the ground. I opened them in confusion. One of the other guards had dragged the one that was pulling me and pushed him over the rails. I watched as he went after the others and it was a guard on guard fight. I didn't move for a while and I was just too stunned. Eventually, one of the guards stumbled back into the cell we were in. He looked up at us, panting heavily. It was Smoker. There was blood running down his face and he said, oh, The shard ran out. This ain't gonna work. We gotta get the hell out of here. At that, I snapped out of my trance. All of us got up and started booking it down the corridor. I took a quick glance behind to see two armored guards sprinting right at us, gaining ground every second. We reached the stairs sometime later, scrambling up to the next floor. We were nearly there too when Lauren was dragged back down by a foot. I watched in horror as she was lifted up, ready to be tossed at any second, and that's when I heard a voice coming from above us. Get out of the way! I looked up. Kunz was standing right there. He looked half dead with bloody wounds just covering a good portion of his exposed skin. Despite that, he was holding what looked like a large fucking rocket launcher. I did what he said, moving out of his shooting path. He fired it, stumbling back as he did. The rocket made a direct contact with the guard who blew backwards from the explosion right over the rails. The other one was close behind, meeting a similar consequence. Lauren went airborne, barely managing to catch onto a rail as she made her descent. She pulled herself up before screaming out in exasperation, what the fuck? She took some deep breaths before composing herself. We looked back up at Kunz, and he just gave us a bloody smile. Hey, you got any more of those crystals? I could sure use one right now. We continued making our way up the floors. At this point, it was me, Buck, Lauren, Kunz, and Smoker, who were still in the armor. As it turns out, he and a bunch of the other prisoners had managed to overpower one of the armored guards when they were still being sent down as singles. Unfortunately, Jackman had died in the process. As for Kunz, one of his cellmates had told him about the shards and gave him some weeks before the revolution. However, he quickly lost all of them when he was tackled by a mound of guards. Eventually, he fought them off, grabbing the launcher in the process. I looked upwards. There were only about four floors to the surface now, but it was still pretty much war. We sure as hell were not in the clear yet, but luckily for us, the amount of armored guards had drastically thinned down. With smoke paving a way for us, we just kept running. At this point, we were running dangerously low on shards, but it was the home stretch. We were almost out at this point, but I just had this creeping feeling that wouldn't go away. This thing that just kept nagging at me. Deep down, I knew what it was too. I looked at Smoker. There was definitely a look of frightened anticipation on his face. And that was when it happened. A booming crash from the other side of the prison. It was the warden. 
Everybody had stopped to take in the massacre that was occurring some distance away from us. He was far enough away that I had to squint, but I could make out what he looked like. He towered over the regular prisoners. I think 8-5 might have been an understatement. His skin was pale white and he had long, slick-back silver hair. His trench coat was bloody, sweeping along the floor as he moved. That was another thing. He was fast. I observed as he sliced through multiple prisoners simultaneously. He was wielding an extremely large sword that nearly resembled a butcher knife. Whatever prisoners that were invulnerable to the knife, he simply tossed into the blackness below. I snapped back to reality when the ground started shaking. I heard a deep, guttural roar coming from the chasm below. I guess whatever the hell was down there had been disturbed by the amount of bodies coming its way. At this point, the warden had completely finished off the prisoners around him. A stampede of people was starting to run our way, running from the warden. He looked in our direction, and that's when I joined the herd. I made a beeline for the next stairway, pushing others out of the way as I did. As I started making my way up, I heard another loud crash and the subsequent sounds of the slaughter that were too close for comfort. I took a quick glance back. The warden was maybe 10 meters away from me now. He was probably 20 times that distance just seconds ago. And that's when I got a good look at his eyes. You see, they weren't pure black like everybody said they were. They were dark for sure, but there was also something else. When I caught his glare, I didn't feel like I was looking at one man. No, I felt the anguished eyes of thousands staring back. That's the best way that I can explain it. Before I could realize what was happening though, he charged at me. I think he tried grabbing me, but it just didn't quite work out. Instead, I was flung onto the top floor and I was met with sharp, unexpected pain. My shard had just run out. Still reeling from the sting, I looked around and located the exit. It was surrounded by dead guards and had prisoners pouring out of it at a torrid rate. My skin prickled as I felt a warm breeze for the first time in years. I ran for it, faster than I had ever done so before, ignoring the intense aches in my legs every time I took a stride. As I was nearing freedom, I heard another crash some distance behind me. I didn't need to turn around to know what it was though, because the warden was on the top floor now. I stepped out onto what looked like a, a combination between an aircraft carrier and an industrial dock. I watched as planes and helicopters soared away. There were no more aircrafts on the ground, only ships docked at the edge. Amidst the crowd of people, I spotted Smoker and the rest of them. I called out to him, and he turned to face me and gestured for me to follow him. We started running towards what looked like a, a smaller-sized cargo ship. Eventually, we made it on, and there were roughly 20 other people waiting for us, including Kunz, Buck, and Lauren. One of them called out, That's enough, guys. We gotta leave now. No, we can't yet. Smoker barked back at him. He turned to me and asked if the warden was still coming after us. I nodded. Fuck, he shouted. He followed up by telling us that since we were in a ship, we wouldn't be able to evade him, if he ever reached the surface, that is. He'll destroy each and every last ship that tries to leave this place, he said with a tone of desperation. I asked him what the hell we were supposed to do then. He sighed before speaking. Apparently, there was an absurd amount of explosives attached underneath the carrier. This was essentially a failsafe in case of a major disaster, like what was happening right now. However, since the guards were pretty much dead, nobody had detonated them yet. If we can trigger it, that would probably take care of the warden, Smoker said hesitantly. I asked him how we were supposed to do that. 
and he pointed to a large bag of small objects resembling futuristic grenades. Well, that should do the trick. All it takes is one person. At that moment, the warden burst out onto the strip. All of the prisoners that were still alive had pretty much escaped at this point, so he hesitantly turned his attention to us. Fuck me, Smoker said under his breath. Well, I guess this is it. He reached back for the bag of explosives, but they were gone. It's alright, mate. We all turned to look at Buck. He had slung the bag along his shoulders and was holding a pistol. I was never much back on Earth, you know. He grinned at us. At least I'll go out with a bang. He hopped off the ship. You guys better get going, yeah? No need to thank me. And those were the last words that he said to us before walking casually towards the advancing warden. None of us knew what to say. We just knew that we had to get out of there. And that's what we did. We left without Buck. We watched as he held the bag of explosives up, almost tauntingly. The warden stopped in his tracks. He started backing up. The ship also started picking up speed. By the time that we were a good distance away, we saw the explosion. And boy, it was a nasty one. A wave of heat hit us as we moved across the water, miles away from where we first started. It's been a few hours now and nobody said anything. And I guess there just isn't a lot to say, is there? Or they could just be enjoying the peace, I suppose, because it's really quiet out here. Tranquil. I almost feel at ease, in fact. Almost. But where we'll end up next, who knows, but I don't have high expectations. And Buck, I know you told me not to do this, but thanks, mate. Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time that you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time expanding device is easy. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. I've never really liked the ocean, the vast empty nothingness that just spans out into an apparent infinity. It's one of the few concepts that's always really bothered me over the years, but I've never known how bad it could really be. That is, until now. The serenity of the calm sea didn't last too long. As Desh, the ship pilot, carried us along the black waters, I started feeling a sense of urgency in the air. I couldn't explain it, but I could tell that everybody else felt the same way too. They all looked uh, uneasy for some reason. And I soon realized why. Not far up ahead, there was an area in the water that was just a bit darker than the rest. And it also seemed to be moving. But we all just eyed it with caution, not entirely sure of what the hell it was. But I don't think any of us expected what happened next though. Something started rising out of the water. It was a ship, almost like a submarine of sorts. But 
It looked old and rusty. In fact, it was hard to understand how it was still even functional. As it bobbed into our path, Dash started steering away from it. At this point, our weapon selection was dwindling. We had about eight rifles, three pistols, a bunch of knives and limited ammo. Smoker still had the armor, but it was damaged to hell. But there was a large cannon mounted to the bow of the ship, but there didn't seem to be any ammo for it. Safe to say, we weren't very prepared for an assault. The top of the ship soon opened, with a gloved hand bursting out. We trained the few weapons that we had on it, and what I assumed was a man then propped himself up onto the surface of the ship. He was wearing what appeared to be a military diving suit. It got a bit stranger upon closer inspection, however. The suit it looked to be decaying. It was old and tattered, and I could see erratic eyes moving behind the cracked glass of the goggles. More of them started climbing up until there was nearly no room for them to stand on. That's when I noticed that they were all carrying weapons. Most of them had rusty iron bars, while others had what looked like axes attached to chains. None of us flinched as we made our way past them. We weren't really sure what to do, in all honesty. As we moved parallel to their ship, they dived into the water and started swimming towards us. We shot at them, but the bullets didn't seem to slow them down. Even though I could see them penetrate their suits, releasing bursts of black liquid into the ocean... We soon lost sight of them as they swam underneath us. It only took me a second to realize what was going to happen next. I cut myself with a shard as I began to hear the sounds of something scaling the sides of the ship. Gunshots and screams soon filled the air. These things had made their way onto the deck. I watched as people threw everything they had at these marine nightmares. They shot, stabbed and kicked at these things to no avail. I turned around upon seeing an axe bounce off of my arm. I took a knife and stabbed my assailant up and through the chin. That's when I looked into his eyes, and they were a deep blue and didn't look any less human than mine. But I knew that they weren't. At least not anymore. I pulled the blade out as it kept stumbling forwards, advancing towards me. That's when I decided to take drastic measures. I tackled it to the ground and plunged the knife into its back. I felt the revolting texture of just soft, decaying flesh as I cut my way around, eventually decapitating it. The body went limp, but the head was still twitching. As I picked up the head in preparation to toss it overboard, I saw the eyes blink at me. I honestly would have felt something if they weren't so cold, lifeless, devoid of any soul. I turned my attention back to the rest of the action. Even though there were about seven lifeless human bodies on the ground, the assault had pretty much been quelled. I watched as Kunz took the blunt end of the rifle and smashed it into one of those creatures' faces, pummeling it into an unrecognizable pile of glass and black and rotten flesh. Eventually, we'd incapacitated and threw them all overboard. Again, we all just remained silent for a while because that shit was horrifying. The silence was soon broken by Desh, though, letting out an anguished cry. He was holding his firearm, which was cut open, but here's the bad news. A bit of the black blood that came from these things had seeped into it. Now, he was the only one who knew how to steer this ship, so this was not good. We rushed him inside and quickly located what looked like an aid kit. Kunz took out a bottle of clear liquid and gave it a whiff before dumping it into the cut. Dash cried out again, and that's when Smoker stepped in. No, I know what these things are. He vocalized with a horrified expression on his face. Listen, we need to cut it off before it spreads. We hesitated. 
Dash's eyes widened in intense fear. Smoker just looked at him. Trust me. Dash sighed loudly. <sighs> Fuck it. As we made the amputation, I was starting to get afraid of Dash's screams attracting other things out in the ocean. We sterilized the severed limb before cauterizing it with a blowtorch. After about an hour, Dash claimed that he was ready to go again. But we fished a flask out of his jacket pocket and took several large swigs. Took it from the warden's office, he said. I was going to share it, you know, but fuck it. After that, we sailed for some more hours on end. At one point, a heavy fog started materializing around us. As we got ready for another assault, we started hearing uh, whispers coming from nowhere in particular. Dark, anguished whispers saying things that I could have gone infinite lifetimes without hearing. Luckily though, nothing attacked us. There was also an instance where we thought that we could see an island in the distance. As we tried heading for it, it actually started moving. And an ungodly moan echoed towards us as it suddenly submerged itself into the water. Safe to say, this ocean was a peculiar place. Not somewhere where you'd want to be, but interesting nonetheless. About a few hours pass and we're getting worried. We only had about five of those prison energy bars left for the 13 of us. We also had no drinkable water. And to make matters worse, Desha's veins had started turning black. And they were protruding violently out of his skin now. He was also sick, nearly slipping into his own puke every minute or so. And from what I could tell, there were small worms writhing around in the vomit. Guys, if I turn into something, shoot me on the spot, alright? He said to us in a hoarse voice that was much deeper than his natural tone. In the meantime, I'll get us as far as I can. I felt sorry for him, of course, but there was no time for sympathy. We desperately needed to get onto land. A few hours pass and Desh is barely alive now. His skin was bulging in and out and he seemed to be having trouble standing up. But just up ahead, we finally saw land. It sat there, just waiting for us. Then, out of nowhere, Desh fell to his knees, projectile vomiting just everywhere. I stepped back, away from the squirming creatures now slithering towards us in this revolting liquid. Ah, shoot, shoot me! Desh uttered out. We thanked him before fulfilling his request. One bullet and his suffering was ended. We watched as his body twitched a bit before ultimately just going limp. The ship eventually drifted onto the shore where we hopped off. As we were wandering around the sandy surface, we were hit with this metallic tinge lingering in the air. And obviously, this didn't mean anything good. Other than that though, the island seemed pretty typical. Actually, from all the places that I've been while here, this resembled Earth the most. Before hitting land, we'd rationed out the remaining shards amongst us. Everybody got two, except for Smoker who got three. Fair enough, I suppose. As we headed into the forest, we started seeing animal carcasses just everywhere. Even ones the size of elephants. Their guts had been gouged out and left to the flies and the smell was horrific. And obviously, after seeing that, we were on high alert. At one point, we'd come across a, a large tiger-looking thing and we'd prepared for an attack. However, it seemed more scared of us, if anything. About a few minutes later, we realized what it actually was scared of. 
we stumbled into a clearing and I could hear the sounds of something wet near us. It was quiet but I strained my ears to make it out and it almost resembled somebody pigging out on a buffet. Then a few seconds later I heard somebody call out behind me and suggest that we take a break. They said it in a rather loud voice and as soon as he did so all other sounds stopped. I noticed it and so did Smoker. Everybody else seemed oblivious but the foliage around us started rattling and then all hell broke loose. These things just burst from the woods and lurched themselves towards us. They were about three and a half feet tall and seemed to alternate between crawling on all fours and stumbling upright. Their pale skin had a reddish glow to it and their ear-piercing shrieks made me want to deafen myself. But they had a multitude of pure red eyes covering their face and large mouths full of razor-like teeth. But as horrific as they looked, they weren't actually too strong. As one tried to jump me, I reflexively batted it away with my rifle. And even though I only used about half of my strength, the blow sent it flying into a tree. It let out a shrill cry before trying to limp back towards me. However, they weren't so easy to deal with in groups. I observed as they overwhelmed the other prisoners, tearing them apart with their teeth and claws. But there were too many of them, and I looked around and locked eyes with Kunt, Smoker, Lauren, as well as the few others that were left. We were getting the hell out of there. In the moment, I had forgotten about the shards completely, and I didn't even bother using them. We started running, with twigs and branches hitting us in the face every now and then. I took a quick glance back at one point, and the creatures were barely keeping pace with us, which meant that they weren't so fast either. However, that didn't fix the fact that they kept jumping out from the woods on either side of us and I felt some of their claws dig into my skin as I flung them off. Eventually though, we lost those things and broke out of the forest. However, that didn't mean that we were safe. We found ourselves on another beach, filled with people this time. Or, at least, that's what I thought they were at first. They were walking slowly seemingly moving without any purpose. And then one of them turned around. There was only one word that I needed to describe them. Zombies. With grayish decaying skin and rotting teeth and sunken eyes, I wouldn't know what else to call them. It started limping towards us with the rest following soon after and at this point we were all already tired as hell. But we had no options. We were surrounded in front and had the forest behind us. We were about to take our chances back in the woods when Lauren pointed something out in the distance. It looked like a cluster of watchtowers. And that seemed like a better option, so we went for it. But we knew that the shards wouldn't actually close up our already existing wounds inflicted by the forest creatures. That meant that we couldn't get too close to the zombies. I mean, we all saw what happened to Desh after all. We also knew that we were running low on ammo, so the shots had to be precise. Every missed bullet was an inch closer to a horrible death, and eventually we ran out and were forced to use the rifles as blunt weapons, which was dangerous as all hell. Nevertheless, we were getting close, and I was starting to make our guards sitting up on top of the towers, and they seemed to be helping us by shooting up the zombies. Half of them had firearms, while the rest were using what looked like crossbows. I saw them throw down some thick ropes that I assumed were for us to climb on. As I got closer and closer to the tower, I could tell that it was fortified with metal. 
I watched a smoker and the rest of them jumped onto the various ropes of the surrounding towers, simultaneously climbing while being pulled up by the guards, and I did the same. As I pulled myself up onto the tower platform, the guards instantly pointed their weapons at me. To be honest, nothing surprised me at this point, so I just put my hands up, and what I assumed to be their leader quickly told them to back down. I would later learn that his name was Brax. We don't know if it's one of them or not, another guard argued, still pointing the crossbow right at my forehead. Brax just scoffed. Is that a joke? Look at him. Look at his weapon. I asked him what the hell he was talking about, what I supposedly was one of. Neo Civitus was his response. Jackman had also mentioned them while I was in the prison. However, I didn't really feel like asking questions, so I didn't pursue it. Still haven't, actually. After that, though, I looked down at the ground. The zombies were all gathered around at the bottom of the tower, making futile attempts to climb it. As I turned back around, Brax tossed me a padded vest and some forearm guards. Well, you want to stay here? You gotta work. He gave me a toothy grin. Welcome to Dead Man's Land. That was the official name of the island. I looked around the tower that I was in, seeing beds and a water basin set up, and then I looked over at the other towers. Kunz waved at me from one of them, and that's when I really got a sense of the scope of this place. All of them were connected by narrow bridges that the guards used to get around and communicate with each other, and there were a lot more than I'd originally made out. There weren't only towers either. I also saw moderate-sized buildings and small houses propped upwards by metal support beams as well. And again, they were all connected. It was like a, a town, elevated away from the horrors on the ground. But that's all I'm going to write for now, guys, because today's just been an absolute shit show. Brax told me that I'm on guard duty tomorrow, and that's in about four hours, so I need some rest. Entry 27. It feels like the days are getting shorter here for some reason, but that isn't necessarily a bad thing, I suppose. The place here looks nice at night. It almost feels surreal at times. A small, peaceful civilization that's just 50 meters up from absolute hell on land. I can hear the zombies moving around at night. You might think that it would make it impossible to sleep, but the sounds of distant footsteps touching the soil is actually somewhat ambient. And after all the shit that I've been through, it's a bit of a welcome change. You'll rarely hear about a dispute around here. Everybody has a job and they don't mind doing it. Hell, there aren't really many options though. People need to eat and shooting down birds doesn't seem sustainable. That's why, twice a week, they'll send out a hunting team of five to seven in order to scavenge animals and plants. Remember those forest creatures that I was talking about? Well, apparently they're like a delicacy here. I almost spat out the meat when somebody showed me what I was actually eating, but still, they aren't that bad, I suppose. Other than that, though, not much to do around here. I've been on two of those hunting trips myself, and they've been easy enough, I suppose. I didn't really notice when we first landed on the island, but the zombies are really slow. If you keep a moderate pace, they won't actually touch you, and as long as you tread quietly, they won't swarm you. That's why we're advised to only use crossbows, and guns only in absolute emergencies. 
We've encountered a few strange creatures here and there, though. These include, but are not limited to, a tall, thin humanoid, nearly resembling a stick figure, and this three-legged thing with what I can only describe as a rotating head. Yeah, that one was a bit freaky to look at. I tend to pass the time just playing cards with Brax and Smoker. I taught him blackjack. Didn't realize that it was that hard of a game to understand. They seem to forget the rules every third time we play for some reason. And well, if anything else happens, I guess I'll write again. But uh, I don't know when that's going to be. Entry 28. I should mention that I'm not really keeping track of how many days have passed. I just don't see a point in it anymore, you know? But it's been a while and I met a local girl recently. I'd just come back from a hunting trip during which I saved one of the guys from getting his leg bitten off by a large crocodile looking thing. Apparently, this dude was this girl's brother or something. When he told her what had happened, she ran up and asked if she could hug me, which I thought was pretty damn cute. She also doesn't speak English, so I got Brax to translate for me, but I've been spending a lot of time teaching her. In return, she teaches me her own language. It's one that I've never heard before and rather tough to learn, I must admit. But the way that she speaks just makes me want to keep going. Who knows, maybe I just like listening to her talk. She looks to be in her mid-twenties, I suppose, and has this dirty blonde hair and these light pink eyes that look absolutely stunning. She's, uh, well, great, to say the least. I don't know how else to describe it. Oh, and uh, her name's Jolene, by the way. Pretty similar to Jolene. From what I've gathered, too, she was actually born on the island, in a village up in the mountains somewhere. One day, while she was a little girl, her village was overrun and her father tried to get her and her brother out of there. Eventually, he was killed by a swarm of zombies in an attempt to sacrifice himself so that they could get away. Her brother protected her for the rest of the way until they stumbled upon this place. She actually started crying while telling this story and I have to say, it feels nice comforting someone instead of killing things for once. It's funny too, I didn't come here looking for love. In fact, now that I really think about it, I'm not really sure why I came here in the first place. Adventure, was it? Or was it just fear of living an ordinary life? Well, I can safely say that I don't have to worry about that anymore. You know, I wasn't planning on staying here forever when I first arrived, but Jolene's making a good case for it, I must admit. Even though we can barely communicate with each other... I've just never felt such a connection to someone, such warmth. In fact, I really don't like thinking about leaving her. Besides, I don't really see a way out of here anyways. But like I've said before, let's just see what happens. Entry 29 So last night was, well, interesting. But to be honest, it might have been the freakiest thing that I've experienced while I've been here. And that's saying a lot. So, I was having a nightmare, a nasty one too. I was being chased through the forest by a naked woman with grey skin. And her face, it was just three large gaping holes where the eyes and the mouth were supposed to be. It ran in this, like, erratic jerking motion that felt so unnatural that I honestly wanted to puke. And the fucking sound that it made, it was almost like a low-pitched shrieking, nearly croaking if you will. I remember finding myself standing up when I was awoken, being restrained by Brax. He was whispering at me to stop what I was doing. When I saw what he was referring to, I nearly had a heart attack. 
I was about to fall over the edge. I looked around and realized that it was too late for a few others. But the strange thing is, nobody was making a sound. They looked like they were trying to sleep but just couldn't, just laying there with their eyes open. As I asked Brax what the hell was going on, he simply shushed me. That's when I realized that even though I was awake, the shrieking was still there. It seemed to be coming from the forest edge, so I looked over. What I saw probably won't ever leave me. It was the woman from my dream. She was standing in some kind of obscure crouched position, screaming like hell. When Brax saw me looking at her, he pulled me away and quietly told me to just go back to bed until it was over. I complied and I remember laying there for what seemed like hours. In reality, it was only about 20 minutes. I started counting the time again in an attempt to minimize thinking about the demonic noise. And when it finally stopped, everybody just still stayed down. I didn't really want to get up either, if I'm being honest, so I just did the same. It was only when sunlight finally seeped in through the thick clouds where anybody moved. What I didn't notice during the night, though, was that there were no zombies in our vicinity. In the vicinity of the woman, that is. And I'm guessing that those two are correlated in some way. And well, they're back now, feasting on the bodies of the people who sleepwalked themselves to death. But there were some tears around the settlement that night as well, for sure. I met up with Smoker later that day and asked him about it too. He was paler than I'd ever seen him before, and he usually had a stoic demeanor, but not right then. He honestly looked terrified. When I mentioned the woman, he just held up his hand and told me that the other guards had told him not to talk about it. That if we ever saw her again, to just avoid looking at her and act like we didn't know that she was even there. I made eye contact with Kunz and Lauren as well, but their expressions told me that they also didn't want to be reminded of it. Couldn't blame them, to be honest. But for some reason, I still had to know. So I went up to Brax and demanded that he tell me what the hell that thing was. Hesitantly, this is what he told me. That thing the woman if you could call it, and they refer to as the colorless spirit. Now, nobody knows what it is at all, they just know that you need to ignore it. You see, the first time that the settlement had encountered her was a long while ago and they definitely learned their lesson. When she came out of the forest and started shrieking that insanity-inducing sound, some of the guards started yelling at her while others prevented the people from walking off the towers. Eventually, one of them ended up just shooting at her and that was when all hell broke loose. The arrow pierced her shoulder and she just went silent. A few seconds later, she was joined by hundreds of others that looked exactly like her. They ran towards the settlement, scaling the towers at a disturbingly fast rate. Nobody could do anything about it too. About half the people there died that day and it would have been more, but they were saved by daylight. As the dim light bled into the sky above, the colorless spirits started running back into the woods. From that day on, they realized that the best strategy for dealing with these things was to simply ignore them. However, it hadn't happened in so long that Brax had forgotten to tell us anything about it. And this was a, a bad experience, to say the least. As I write this, Joel Ann lies, sniffling quietly in my lap. Everybody seems a bit more reserved now more afraid to go onto the ground, but I suppose that this will change. I mean, 
We can't linger on this forever, right? Entry 30. It's been a while since my last entry. Hard to pinpoint an exact time period, but I'm thinking months. Anyhow, it took a while, but things are finally back to normal around here. In fact, we've actually constructed some new buildings, specifically a bathhouse and a theater. It's been a good time, too. Me and Jolene write our own plays and put them on for the children, and they seem to like it. It's a lot more fun than throwing around balls, I suppose. We also reenacted Forrest Gump and even got Kunz and Lauren to take part in it, and they loved that one. I guess that cinema really is an interdimensional language. Speaking of Jolene as well, her English has gotten a lot better. So has my Dicea, the language that she speaks. Besides that though, I, I really don't know what else to say. Everybody seems happier, I'm getting there as well. However, Smoker seems to be the exception here. Whenever I try talking to him these days, he just seems irritable and jaded. I kept pushing for him to tell me what the hell was going on, but he always said that it was just nothing. I kept pushing for him to tell me what the hell was going on, but he just always said it was nothing. That was until yesterday. For whatever reason, I couldn't sleep that night. With Jolene curled up by my side, I slowly inched my way out of the bed. As I got up to take a stroll around the towers, I spotted Smoker on the other side puffing a dart. I realized that I hadn't seen him doing that since we left the prison. I walked over to him and asked how he still had the six. Apparently, he'd stolen a bunch of them from the warden's office and stuffed them into a bag. He'd been smoking only at night ever since. Sorry, man. I really want to share them, he told me. Rather keep it under wraps. He flicked it away and I watched as it cascaded down right into the zombie's head. It just grunted in confusion. Smoker followed up by sighing before looking me in the eyes. You, uh, you like it here, right? He asked. I mean, I know you got your girl and all, but you really want to stay here forever, man? I thought about it for a while and to be honest, I really wasn't sure. I mean, this wasn't really an ideal place to settle down or anything, but there didn't seem to be any way out. So, that's what I told him, and he just nodded. I asked him the same question after. What about you? This is where you see yourself staying? I already knew the answer to that, and he chuckled softly. <laughs> Fuck no, man. You know what I want, kid? It's funny, even though I was in my early 20s, he still called me that. I guess that it had to do with him being nearly half a foot taller or something. He paused before continuing. I've had my share of this place, this entire world to be frank, and I don't want to be a part of it anymore. I just want uh, peace, you know. I want to be a neo civitus At this point, I'd been hearing about this place so damn much that I decided to finally figure out what it even was. So I asked him about it. Well... It's a bright place in a dark world, he told me. With all this hell around us, it's one of the only places where somebody can expect a semblance of normalcy. I mean, sure, this place is civilized, but look down. I did so, watching as the zombies meandered around. It's still fucked. In fact, I don't think any place isn't, other than Neo Civitas. He followed up by telling me about what it looked like. It was an apparent paradise, miles upon miles of glistening skyscrapers that lit up the dark skies at night. 
It sounded to me like a peek back into the old world that I'd come from. Problem is, it was damn near impossible to gain entry if you weren't already born there. Some time ago, an outsider could have gained entry through the military recruitment station set up across various islands in a northern ocean. As it turns out, Smoker had tried enlisting in the infantry when he was younger. He had made the long and perilous trek to a smaller, very dangerous peninsula where one of those buildings was set up. Despite all of his effort, however, he barely failed the physical tests. The thing is, he would have been allowed to apply again a year later, but the government over there inexplicably barred any more potential outsider recruits just three months after. There were still a few other ways that he could become a citizen, but Smoker claimed that those were not feasible for him. Him telling me this reminded me of my times back at Dusk Blue. I mean, what if all of it was just a ruse like Paradise X was? What if Neo Civitas wasn't really all that great? He just chuckled when I brought this up. Yeah, I understand your concerns, kid, he responded. But I've seen it. Inside the recruitment station, they had monitors set up, displaying the daily lives of citizens over there, and it may have been propaganda, but boy, was it beautiful. And honestly, it looked impossible to fake. He put his head down and sighed. It's as if this whole conversation just reminded him of a lost dream. Uh, whatever, I heard him mumble. We'll see what happens. After that, he just laid down. I guess there really wasn't much else to say. I followed suit, going back to lying back down next to Joel Ann on my bed. I didn't really get much sleep that night because that whole conversation just got me thinking. Is this really where I want to end up? Was Neo Civitus a possibility? Could I bring Joel Ann with me? Did I even want to do that? Uh, I don't know. It just feels like I really don't know anything anymore. Entry 31 Hey, you know what's fucking hilarious? It honestly seems as if months will go by where nothing substantial happens at all, only for shit to get really interesting really quick. Some time ago, I started hearing talks around the settlement about a hunting group that went missing some time back. Not even too long ago. Maybe about a week before we arrived or something. But that's why these guys were so willing to take us in. Apparently, this was pretty rare, but not unheard of. When they did go missing, another team would usually find their dead bodies sooner or later, but for some reason, not in this case. Either they went real far, or they were captured by something. Anyhow, when I first heard about this, I didn't think much about it. I mean, it couldn't really affect me, right? All that I learned was that I should be careful out there. But things got real crazy yesterday. So, it was my turn again to go out and scavenge for food and resources. But this time I was assigned to a team with Kunz. Along the way, however, we ran into a bit of trouble. We ran into a swarm of those forest creatures again. I guess our subsequent shouting attracted a bunch of zombies, so they started chasing us too. But we were in pretty deep shit. We ran through the forest for a while, actually losing two of our guys before Kun spotted an opening up ahead. We crashed through it, coming into a rather large clearing. At this point, we'd pretty much shaken off the creatures, but the zombies were still after us. We laid low for a while, not making any sound in an attempt to throw them off. And eventually we did, and they moved straight past the clearing. When we got our bearings together, we realized pretty quickly that we were in uncharted territory. Now, it's not like we've ever covered new ground before, but this time, it was different. 
but when we really looked around and evaluated the area that we were in, it became rather apparent that this clearing could not have formed naturally. There were flattened trees everywhere and what almost looked like tire tracks on the ground, leading to a man-made trail. It was peculiar for sure, so we decided to follow the tracks. I guess that we thought that it meant civilization, people out there who were no different than us, just trying to survive in this crazy world. As we walked along, we started to notice other interesting things. Shit like uh, sharp wires tied to trees blocking the path and uh, what looked like uh, improvised bear traps of some sort. It got really messed up though when wooden spikes with zombies as well as other creatures' heads started appearing alongside of us. We'd started to realize that continuing on probably wouldn't lead us anywhere good. We were about to head back when a member of our group pointed out a head that was different than the rest. It was human and apparently one that he recognized. Rax inspected it closer and confirmed that it did indeed belong to one of the hunters that had gone missing before we came. And now came the time for a decision. We could keep going and find out what happened to them and if there were any survivors or we could still turn back. It was a tough one for sure. As the leader, Brax couldn't just abandon his discovery, but it was also highly unlikely that pursuing this would lead to any favorable outcomes. There were only five of us after all, and eventually we settled on going back and gathering more people in order to give us a better fighting chance against, well, whatever the hell this was. However, as soon as we turned around, we heard the distant sounds of an engine behind us, and it was coming up fast. We knew that outrunning it wasn't a possibility, so in a split-second decision, we backed up into the dark woods and waited for what was coming. Not long after, a beaten-down vehicle came into our sights. I couldn't really describe what kind of car it mostly resembled. All I can say is that it looked rough, man. Like, the type of thing you wouldn't want to see if you were by yourself on a desolate back road. As it got even closer, we could make out more pikes with zombie heads attached to the roof of this thing. Safe to say, they didn't mean anything good. It stopped about 20 feet from where we were hiding. Two men got out, talking loudly to each other, like they didn't even care about attracting shit from the woods. As I got a closer look at them, it appeared as if one of them were wearing a ripped plaid shirt with dirty jeans. Now, this was surprising for a lot of obvious reasons. They also spoke with a heavy, undefinable accent, and their voices sounded coarse as hell. And, like the car, they also looked really rough. We watched, not really knowing what to do, as they picked up old traps and started setting up new ones. At one point, one of the men picked up a small rabbit-like creature that had been caught and started howling in hysterical laughter. I didn't really know what was so funny about it, but the other one joined in as well. And at this point, Brax nudged me in the sides. He pointed to the vehicle and whispered, We're taking it. But before I could even react, he had jumped out onto the trail and raised his rifle at them. We followed after him, ultimately doing the same. Now, we expected these guys to show at least some indication of surprise or fear, or something. But no, they just stared at us for a second before starting to laugh again. What are you folks doing out here? I remember one of them saying in a stupidly obnoxious tone. It ain't safe. Did you know that? For anyone. 
As soon as he finished his sentence, he slipped a small knife out of his sleeve and tossed it at Kunz in one swift motion. It stuck him in the shoulder before Brax subsequently shot them down. Kunz cried out in agony as he removed the weapon. Now, it didn't go too deep, but the tip of the blade seemed to be covered in a sticky green substance. And Kunz sighed when he saw this. Oh, fuck. Brax took out a bottle of water and poured it out into the wound, but Kunz winced like hell and said that it really burnt. It was obvious that we had to do something, but the problem was, we didn't know what. To make matters infinitely worse, we started hearing more engines coming up from farther down the trail. We piled into the vehicle, but by that time, it was already too late. As Brax tried to figure out how to turn on the ignition, I turned around and saw the other cars approaching fast. And they weren't stopping. My head slammed into the windshield as we were rear-ended hard. As my vision went blurry, I heard gunfire being exchanged before feeling myself get pulled out of the car and dragged onto the ground. As I started coming back to my senses, the sounds of hooting and hollering filled the air around me. I looked around me, seeing dead bodies on both sides before looking up at the person dragging me. He hadn't noticed that I wasn't unconscious yet, so... I took out my spare knife and I slit his wrists. While he cried out in pain, I lunged at him, sticking the blade right into the stomach area. As he fell limp, I realized that the two remaining people he came with were still engaged in firefights with Kunz. Brax had, unfortunately, been shot dead at this point. He was the only one left. While they were still somewhat distracted, I tried sneaking up behind them and taking them out that way. Unfortunately, it didn't quite work because they noticed and I was shot once in the foot and another bullet grazed my hip. The good news is that Kuntz managed to take both of them out while they were dealing with me. We both realized that there was no time to recover right now. As I walked over to him, I saw that he had two more knife wounds on his neck and thigh. They were also covered in the green stuff, but before I could say anything, he just shook his head. <sighs> Don't worry about it, man. Nothing you can do. I could tell that he was going pale, but ultimately, he was right. There was indeed nothing that I could do. As we were about to hop into the vehicle again, I heard something. A sound coming from the car that had rear-ended us. Almost like a muffled cry or something. I told Kunz to try and start the engine while I went to go and check it out. As I got closer, I could tell that it was coming from the trunk. Cautious as hell, I opened it, and I can't think of anything that I could have found that would have been more surprising. Because it was fucking Kaganori. I genuinely thought that he died back in Paradise X. He was bound and gagged, looked beaten up as hell. He was also missing an eye. He was stuffed in between two other limp bodies, but I could tell that he was still certainly alive. The look in his last remaining eye just sent a shiver down my spine. He'd obviously been through a hell of a lot. I got him out of the trunk and untied him. We had no time to talk as the sound of engines in the distance started up again. As we stumbled over to the vehicle that we were going to use, Kunz finally got it going. As we went in, Kunz looked at Kaganori and then turned to me. Who the hell is this guy? In between breaths, I just told him to go. I could see a large shadow moving around in the woods beside us and the cars behind us were getting louder. He didn't need to be told twice, and it's a good thing that Kunz has a pretty decent memory because we made it back to the settlement without problems and without being followed. After I explained what the hell had happened to everybody, I brought them to the infirmary. 
I only needed a few bandages, but here's the crazy part. Everybody seemed to recognize Karganori, said that he was one of the hunters that had been missing. But before I could get an explanation out of him, he just went unconscious. However, he is stable, which is good, just malnourished. They're actually tending to him right now. Kunz, on the other hand, well, he's definitely not looking so good. His skin's nearly gone translucent and all of his veins have become varicose. Nobody knows how to treat him and everybody's also in dismay at the loss of Brax and the state of Karganori. I guess that it became evident to everyone that we didn't have only monsters to fear. Our fellow man wasn't so safe either. The only thing that's really keeping me sane right now is the company of Jolanne. If she wasn't here, I think I might have just lost it at this point. As you can tell, a lot of shit has just happened and I don't really like any of it. Especially with what Kaganori whispered to me just before he passed out. Ross found something, man. Something fucked up. We were wrong about this place. It isn't an alternate reality. It's our own. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.